This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Puddinhead Wilson by Mark Twain. Chapter 18 Roxana Commands. Gratitude and treachery are merely the two extremities of the same procession. You have seen all of it that is worth staying for when the band and the gaudy officials have gone by. Puddinhead Wilson's Calendar Thanksgiving Day Let us all give humble, hearty, and sincere thanks now but the turkeys. In the island of Fiji they do not use turkeys, they use plumbers. It does not become you and me to sneer at Fiji. Puddinhead Wilson's Calendar The Friday after the election was a rainy one in St. Louis. It rained all day long, and rained hard, apparently trying its best to wash that soot-blackened town white but of course not succeeding. Toward midnight, Tom Driscoll arrived at his lodgings from the theater in the heavy downpour, and closed his umbrella and let himself in. But when he would have shut the door, he found that there was another person entering, doubtless another lodger. This person closed the door and tramped upstairs behind Tom, Tom found his door in the dark and entered it, and turned up the gas. When he faced about, lightly whistling, he saw the back of a man. The man was closing and locking his door from him. His whistle faded out, and he felt uneasy. The man turned around, a wreck of shabby old clothes, sodden with rain and all a-drip, and showed a black face under an old slouch hat. Tom was frightened. He tried to order the man out, but the words refused to come, and the other man got the start. He said in a low voice, Keep still. I's your mother. Tom sunk in a heap on a chair and gasped out, It was mean of me and base. I know it but I meant it for the best. I did indeed. I can swear it. Roxana stood a while, looking mutely down on him while he writhed in shame, and went on incoherently babbling self-accusations mixed with pitiful attempts at explanation and palliation of his crime. Then she seated herself and took off her hat, and her unkept masses of long brown hair tumbled down about her shoulders. "'It wasn't no fault of yon that that ain't gray,' she said sadly, noticing the hair. "'I know it. I know it. I'm a scoundrel. But I swear I meant it for the best. It was a mistake, of course, but I thought it was for the best. I truly did.' Roxana began to cry softly, and presently 
Words began to find their way out between her sobs. They were uttered lamentingly rather than angrily. Sell a person down the river, down the river, for the best? I wouldn't treat a dog so. I has all broke down and wore out now, and so I reckon it ain't in me to storm around no more like I used to when I was trampled on and abused. I don't know, but maybe it's so. Leastways, I's suffered so much that mourning seemed to come more handy to me now than storming. These words should have touched Tom Driscoll, but if they did, that effect was obliterated by a stronger one, one which removed the heavy weight of fear which lay upon him and gave his crushed spirit a most grateful rebound and filled all his small soul with a deep sense of relief. But he kept prudently still and ventured no comment. There was a voiceless interval of some duration now, in which no sounds were heard but the beating of the rain upon the panes, the sighing and complaining of the winds, and now and then a muffled sob from Roxana. The sobs became more and more infrequent, and at last ceased. Then the refugee began to talk again. Shut down that light a little. More, more yet. A person that is hunted don't like the light. There, that'll do. I can see where you is, and that's enough. I's gwine to tell you the tale, and cut it just as short as I can, and then I'll tell you what you's got to do. That man that bought me ain't a bad man. He's good enough as planters go, and if he could have had his way, I'd have been a house servant in his family and been comfortable. But his wife, she was a yank, and not right down good looking, and she riz up agin me straight off. So then they sent me out at a quarter amongst the common field hands. That woman weren't satisfied even with that, but she worked up the overseer again me. She is that jealous and hateful. So the overseer, he had me out before day and the mornings and worked me the whole long day as long as there is any light to see by. And many's the lashings I got, cause I couldn't come up to work of the strongest. That overseer was a Yank, too, out in New England, and anybody down south can tell you what that mean. They knows how to work a nigger to death, and they knows how to wail em, too. Wail em till they backs is welted like a washboard. Long at first, my master said a good word for me to the overseer, but that is bad for me, for the missus, she find it out, and arter that, I just catched it at every turn. They weren't no mercy for me no more. Tom's heart was fired with fury against the planter's wife, and he said to himself, But for that meddlesome fool, everything would have gone all right. He added a deep and bitter curse against her. 
The expression of this sentiment was fiercely written in his face, and stood thus revealed to Roxana by a white glare of lightning, which turned the somber dusk of the room into dazzling day at that moment. She was pleased, pleased and grateful, for did not that expression show that her child was capable of grieving for his mother's wrongs, and a feeling resentment toward her persecutors, a thing which she had been doubting. But her flash of happiness was only a flash, and went out again and left her spirit dark, for she said to herself, He sold me down the river. He can't feel for a body long. This'll pass and go. Then she took up her tale again. About ten days ago, I was saying to myself that I couldn't last many more weeks. I was so wore out with the awful work and the lashings, and so downhearted and miserable. And I didn't care no more, nother. Life weren't worth nothing to me if I got to go on like that. Well, when a body is in a frame of mind like that, what do a body care what a body do? They was a little sickly nigger wench about ten year old that is good to me, and hadn't no mammy, po thing, and I loved her, and she loved me, and she come out while I was working, and she had a roasted tater, and tried to slip it to me, robbin' herself, you see, cause she knowed the overseer didn't give me enough to eat, and he catched her at it and give her a lick across the back with his stick, which is as thick as a broom handle. And she dropped, screaming on the ground, and squirming and wallering about in the dust like a spider that's got crippled. I couldn't stand it. All the hell fire that was ever in my heart flame up, and I snatched a stick out in his hand and laid him flat. He laid down moanin' and cussin' and all out of his head, you know, and the niggers is plumb scared to death. They gathered round him to help him, and I jumped on his hoss and took off for the river as fast as I could go. I knowed what they would do with me. Soon as he got well, he would start in and work me to death if master let him, and if they didn't do that, they'd sell me further down the river, and that's the same thing, so I allowed to drown myself and get out of my troubles. It is getting towards dark. I is at the river in two minutes. Then I see a canoe, and I says, They ain't no use to drown myself till I got to. So I ties the hoss and the edge of the timber and shove out on the river, keeping in under the shelter of the bluff bank and praying for the dark to shut down quick. I had a powerful good start, cause the big house is three mile back from the river, and only the work mules to ride there on, and only niggers ride em, and they ain't going to hurry. They'd give me all the chance they could. Before a body could go to the house and back, It'd be long past dark, and they couldn't track the hoss and find out which way I went till morning, and the niggers would tell em all the lies they could about it. Well, the dark come, and I went on a spinnin' down the river. 
I paddled moanin' two hours. Then I weren't worried no more, so I quit paddling and floated down the current, considerin' what I was going to do if I didn't have to drown myself. I made up some plans and floated along, turnin' em over in my mind. Well, when it was a little past midnight, and I reckoned, and I had come fifteen or twenty mile, I see the lights of a steamboat layin' at the bank, where they weren't no town and no woodyard, and putty soon I catched the shape of the chimbley tops again the stars, and then, good gracious me, I most jumped out of my skin for joy. It is the Grand Mogul. I was chambermaid on her for eight seasons in the Cincinnati and Orleans trade. I slid long past. Don't see nobody stirrin' nowhere. Here am I hammerin' away in the engine room. Then I knowed what the matter was. Some of the machinery's broke. I got a show below the boat and turned the canoe loose. Then I goes long up and there is just one plank out. And I step board the boat. It is powerful hot. Deckums and roustabouts is sprawled around, sleepin' on the forecastle. The second mate, Jim Bangs, he sot down the bits with his head down asleep, cause that's the way the second mate stand the captain's watch. And then the old watchman, Billy Hatch, he is a noddin' on the companion way. And I knowed em all, and land but did they look good. I says to myself, I wished old master had come along now and try to take me. Bless your heart, I's mung friends, I is. So I tromped right along Munxtum and went on to the biler deck and way back aft to the ladies' cabin guard and sot down there in the same cheer that I'd sot in most a hundred million times, I reckon. And it is just home again, I tell you. In about an hour I heard the ready bell jingle, and then the racket begin. Putty soon I heard a gong strike. Set her back on the outside, I says to myself. I reckon I knows that music. I heard a gong again. Come ahead on the inside, I says. Gong again. Stop the outside. Gong again. Come ahead on the outside. Now, we's pinted for St. Louis and I's out of the woods and ain't got to drown myself at all. I knowed the mogul is in St. Louis trade now, you see. It is just fair daylight when we passed our plantation and I see the gang of niggers and white folks hunting up and down the show and troubling they sells a good deal about me but I weren't troubling myself none about them. About that time, Sally Jackson, that used to be my second chambermaid and is head chambermaid now, she come out on the guard and is powerful glad to see me, and so is all the officers. And I told them I'd got kidnapped and sold down the river, and they made me up twenty dollars and give it to me. And Sally, she rigged me out with good clothes. And when I got here, I went straight to where you used to was. And then I come to this house. And they say you's away, but spected back every day. So I didn't dast go down the river to Dawson's, cause I might miss you. 
Well, last Monday, I was passing by one of them places in 4th Street where they sticks up runaway nigger bills and helps to catch em, and I seed my master. I most flopped down on the ground. I felt so gone. He had his back to me and was talking to the man and giving him some bills. Nigger bills, I reckon, and I's the nigger. He's offering a reward. That's it. Ain't I right, don't you reckon? Tom had been gradually sinking into a state of ghastly terror, and he said to himself now, I'm lost, no matter what turn things take. This man has said to me that he thinks there was something suspicious about that sale. He said he had a letter from a passenger on the Grand Mogul saying that Roxy came here on that boat and that everybody on board knew all about the case. So he says that her coming here instead of flying to a free state looks bad for me, and that if I don't find her for him, that pretty soon he'll make trouble for me. I never believed that story. I couldn't believe she would be so dead to all motherly instincts as to come here, knowing the risk she would run of getting me in irremediable trouble. And after all, here she is. And I stupidly swore I would help find her, thinking it was perfectly safe thing to promise. If I venture to deliver her up, she... she... But how can I help myself? I've got to do that or pay the money. And where's the money to come from? I, well, I should think that if he would swear to treat her kindly hereafter, and she says herself that he is a good man, and if he would swear to never allow her to be overworked or ill-fed, or a flash of lightning exposed Tom's pallid face, drawn and rigid with these worrying thoughts, Roxana spoke up sharply now, and there was apprehension in her voice. "'Turn up that light. I want to see your face better. Now, now, let me look at you. Chambers, use as white as your shirt. Has you see that man? Has he been to see you?' "'Yes.' "'When?' "'Monday noon.' "'Monday noon? Was he on my track?' "'He... Well, he thought he was. That is, he hoped he was. This is the bill you saw. He took it out of his pocket. Read it to me. She was panting with excitement, and there was a dusky glow in her eyes that Tom could not translate with certainty, but there seemed to be something threatening about it. The handbill had the usual rude woodcut of a turbaned negro woman running, with the customary bundle on a stick over her shoulder, and the heading in bold type, One Hundred Dollar Reward. Tom read the bill aloud, at least the part that described Roxana and named the master and his St. Louis address, and the address of the Fourth Street Agency but he left out the item that applicants for the reward might also apply to Mr. Thomas Driscoll. 
Give me the bill. Tom had folded it and was putting it in his pocket. He felt a chilly streak creeping down his back, but said as carelessly as he could, The bill? Why, it isn't any use to you. You can't read it. What do you want with it? Give me the bill. Tom gave it to her, but with a reluctance which he could not entirely disguise. Did you read it all to me? Certainly I did. Hold up your hand and swear to it. Tom did it. Roxana put the bill carefully away in her pocket, with her eyes fixed upon Tom's face all the while. Then she said, "'You's lying!' "'What would I want to lie about it for?' "'I don't know, but you is. That's my opinion anyways. But never mind about that. When I see that man, I is dat scared that I could scarcely wobble home.' Then I give a nigger man a dollar for these clothes, and I ain't been in a house since night nor day till now. I blacked my face and laid hid in the cellar of a old house that's burnt down daytimes, and robbed the sugar hogsheads and grain sacks on the wharf nights to get something to eat, and never dast to try to buy nothing, and I's most starved. And I never dast to come near this place till this rainy night when there ain't no people round scarcely. But tonight I've been a standin' in the dark alley ever since night come, waitin' for you to go by. And here I is. She fell to thinking. Presently she said, You seed that man at noon last Monday? Yes. I seed him middle of that afternoon. He hunted you up, didn't he? Yes. Did he give you the bill that time? No, he hadn't got it printed yet. Roxana darted a suspicious glance at him. Did you help him fix up the bill? Tom cursed himself for making that stupid blunder and tried to rectify it by saying he remembered now that it was at noon Monday that the man gave him the bill. Roxana said, "'You's lying again, show!' Then she straightened up and raised her finger. "'Now, then, I's gwine to ask you a question, and I wants to know how you's gwine to get around it. You knowed he is after me, and if you run off, stid a stayin' here to help him, He'd know there's something wrong about this business, and then he would inquire about you, and that would take him to your uncle, and your uncle would read the bill and see that you been sellin' a free nigger down the river, and you know him, I reckon. He'd tear up that will and kick you out in the house. Now then, you answer me this question. Hain't you told that man that I would be sure to come here, and then you would fix it so he could set a trap and catch me? Tom recognized that neither lies nor arguments could help him any longer. He was in a vice, with the screw turned on, and out of it there was no budging. 
His face began to take on an ugly look, and presently he said with a snarl, Well, what could I do? You see yourself that I was in his grip and couldn't get out. Roxy scorched him with a scornful gaze a while. Then she said, What could you do? You could be Judas to your own mother to save your worthless hide. Would anybody believe it? No, a dog couldn't. You is the low-downest, ornerest hound that was ever pupped into dis world, and I's responsible for it. And she spat on him. He made no effort to resent this. Roxy reflected a moment. Then she said, Now, I'll tell you what you's gwine to do. You's gwine to give dat man the money that you's got laid up, and make him wait till you can go to the judge and get the rest, and buy me free again. Thunder, what are you thinking of? Go and ask him for three hundred dollars and odd? What would I tell him I want it for, pray? Roxy's answer was delivered in a serene and level voice. You'll tell him you sold me to pay your gambling debts, and that you lied to me and was a villain, and that I quires you to get that money and buy me back again. Why, you've gone stark mad. He would tear the will to shreds in a minute. Don't you know that? Yes, I does. Then you don't believe I'm idiot enough to go to him, do you? I don't believe nothing about it. I knows you's a-goin'. I knows it, cause you knows that if you don't raise that money, I'll go to him myself, and then he'll sell you down the river, and you can see how you like it. Tom rose, trembling and excited, and there was an evil light in his eye. He strode to the door and said he must get out of this suffocating place for a moment and clear his brain in the fresh air so that he could determine what to do. The door wouldn't open. Roxy smiled grimly and said, I's got the key, honey. Set down. You needn't clear up your brain none to find out what you's gwine to do. I knows what you's gwine to do. Tom sat down and began to pass his hands through his hair with a helpless and desperate air. Roxy said, Is that man in this house? Tom glanced up with a surprised expression and asked, What gave you such an idea? You done it. Gwine out to clear your brain. In the first place you ain't got none to clear. And in the second place, you ownery I toll on you. Use the low-downest hound that ever. But I done told you that before. Now then, this is Friday. You can fix it up with that man and tell him you's gwine away to get the rest of the money, and that you'll be back with it next Tuesday or maybe Wednesday. You understand? Tom answered sullenly. Yes. And when you gets the new bill of sale that sells me back to my own self, take and send it in the mail to Mr. Puddinhead Wilson, and write on the back that he's to keep it till I come. You understand? 
Yes. That's all, then. Take your umbrella and put on your hat. Why? Cause you's gwine to see me home to the wharf. You see this knife? I's toted it round since the day I seed that man and bought these clothes in it. If he catch me, I's gwine to kill myself with it. Now start along and go soft and lead the way, and if you gives a sign in this house or if anybody comes up to you in the street, I's gwine to jam it right into you. Chambers, does you believe me when I says that? It's no use to bother me with that question. I know your word's good. Yeah, it's different from yowin. Shut the light out and move along. Here's the key. They were not followed. Tom trembled every time a late straggler brushed by them on the street, and half expected to feel the cold steel in his back. Roxy was right at his heels, and always in reach. After tramping a mile, they reached a wide vacancy on the deserted wharves, and in this dark and rainy desert they parted. As Tom trudged home, his mind was full of dreary thoughts and wild plans, but at last he said to himself wearily, "'There is but one way out.' I must follow her plan, but with a variation. I will not ask for the money and ruin myself. I will rob the old skinflint. End of chapter 18